right, we're going to start a new series this morning. If you didn't know, it's February. You know how I know? It was because my wife's birthday yesterday. So you need to be sure she's not in here. So you can't, it does no good. She can't hear you right now. She's over working, helping in the uh, kids team, kids church team. So you can grab her and tell her she looks wonderful for 28. And um, then she will call you a liar. Um, but I know it's February. And every time we get into this time of, time of the year, we all start thinking about uh, the most ridiculous holiday that there is. And that is Valentine's Day. And I may be just a, a, not a romantic or a fuddy dud, but I hate Valentine's Day. It's the, like we spend tons, and I say that as the son, my mother was a florist growing up. So it was the one time a year uh, that I couldn't get flowers for girlfriends or people like that. My mom would tell me, you can't get them two weeks before or two weeks after. But two weeks after Valentine's Day, I was the man. Anybody else ever stuffed like 230 bright red roses into your girlfriend's car while she was in school? And didn't pay a dime for them. They were all going bad. And I said, I got something I can do with them. <laughs> and let me tell you guys, it counted just as much two weeks later as it did the day of. <laughs> but we start this, this Valentine's period where we, we start thinking about relationships and it's kind of the mood of just society. And we're going to start this series, but let me encourage you. We're going to talk about marriage, but the things we're going to talk about are really applicable to really all relationships. And for those of you looking at getting married, thinking about getting married, wish you were married, maybe I'm some of you who are married and wish you weren't, these will help you. So no matter what your situation is, um, don't tune me out. We tend to do that in a relationship series. Well, well, this doesn't apply to me. It all applies to me, to me and to all of us. Um, but, you know, we just settle. I was thinking about this in the office this week. As for marriages and even our relationships, we just settle for ordinary. That's why we, we call this the extraordinary. We settle for, God, just let me get by. God, let us just pay the bills. God, let me just not say something I don't regret to my spouse. God, let me not to yell at my kids today. We just want to be ordinary and, get, and like meet this minimum threshold. That if we're really honest, this is the threshold for our marriages. It's that... How's marriage? And I get this, you'd be surprised how much I get this response. How's your marriage doing? How's life? And we hadn't killed each other yet. Like, that's a mark to shoot for, you know? Like, we've been married five years, and I've only attempted to kill him twice. That's not a good thing. And we laugh about it, but you all know what I mean. Because I don't care how holy or righteous you are. Even my darling wife, Melanie, who it takes a lot to get her angry. I know for a fact there's been a few times that she would have probably rather pulled a trigger than said hello. Like, she's mad. Anybody else get mad? Anybody else say dumb stuff to your wife or spouse? The rest of you are lying. And if you haven't, you will. Because we're, we're human. And we just, we got to do better than just survive. So I'm going to talk about over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about how do we make these relationships extraordinary? How do we make them what God wants for us? Look what the Bible says in Romans chapter 12. This is out of the message, paraphrase. And the, it's, it's a paraphrase because the guy that wrote it, it's not a direct translation. He paraphrased it so his family could understand it and follow it. All these notes are, are available on uh, Version Live. You go there, you can find all these notes. It says, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you 
that you fit into without even thinking. Instead, he says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on God. He says, you'll be changed. And this is where we're going to go with this series. This is our verse for the series. You'll be changed from the inside out. Notice it doesn't say from the outside in. I think if we're really honest, we would rather God just do it from the outside in because outside's easy. I can clean up, I can shave, I can get a haircut, I can get a new set of clothes. I can come in and look and fool everybody and tell everybody that I'm doing good when I'm really not. But God says that's not how it works. You begin to get changed from the inside out and that you should readily recognize what God wants from you and then respond to it. And when you do, look what the Bible goes on to say, unlike the culture around you, you're always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. I don't know if you noticed that. I talked about this last week, but when you hang around people who do, who do dumb stuff, what do you end up doing? Dumb stuff. Like jumping off a bridge into the lake that you shouldn't. I did it. I, I know. But it says that God brings the best out and you develops this, and this is the words I highlighted for you, this well-formed maturity. See, a lot of problem in our relationships is that we lack a maturity in an area. It's not that you are... A, as an adult, completely immature, but there are areas of our lives that we need to grow up in, and it affects our relationships. Because here's what the truth you're going to find out this week, or in the next few weeks, sorry, that the best you can give to a relationship is the God best you. And for all you English majors, and don't just look over this. I can hear the judgment now from my high school teachers. The God best you. Not the Clint best you or the Eric best you or the Mark best you. It's the God best me. That he makes me who I am. I can try, but it will always fall short. That if I want for my wife, if I want for Melanie, which I honestly do the best, that I can't solely give it to her by myself. I have to let God do it in me. And it's amazing to see as we counsel over the years and we have you know, marital counseling with people, and they come in and we say, listen, the first thing we're going to do, and they think, you're going to tell that person how wrong they are. No. Well, you're going to tell him how wrong he is. No. We're going to ask you both. Are you reading your Bible? Are you serving God? Are you following God? What does that have to do with him? He's not serving God. Well, you can't give your best to him, and he can't give his best to you unless you're doing God's best. And you can try all you want. It's possible to take this walk and have an extraordinary uh, marriage, an extraordinary relationships. But just like our physical bodies center around what organ can we not do without? I don't know why, and I've always wondered that God put other organs in us, and even with modern technology and modern medicine, they can keep you alive, but they have to have the heart. You can take out a gallbladder, you can take out a pancreas, and you can live. But once your heart stops, it's 100% fact for all of us, once our heart stops, short of a machine, what happens? It's over. But see, our, our souls are like, our, our spiritual life is like that too. The Bible says that God put, put Jesus and put the Holy Spirit in our what? In our hearts. It's the center of us. And so I think... The God best of us starts with our heart. The Bible actually says this in Proverbs 23. It says, guard your heart above all else. It doesn't say guard your reputation. 
It doesn't say guard what, you know, what people think about you or defend yourself if they say wrong. It says no, guard your heart. Why? Because it, determ- it determines the course of your life. The NIV version says that everything that you do and say flows from the heart. Out of your heart flows your anger when you're angry. Out of your heart is the jealousy when you're jealous. And the Bible says that that's the thing we need to we guard. And honestly, especially as guys, guys, I'm going to throw us under the bus, so just get ready for it. And not all guys, but guys, for the most part, we don't want to talk about heart issues. You just tell me what I need to change, what I need to start doing, stop doing, and I'm good. Right, guys? Like, let's not get deep in all the emotional, mushy, squishy stuff. If I'm wrong, tell me I'm wrong. Tell me to do this and don't do this. I wish life was that easy because, guys, we'd, we'd be set, but it's just not. But the Bible says that there's heart issues. You see, the, if, if you haven't looked at the Bible, you can understand this about the Bible. The Old Testament was all external. It was rules and regulations, and you had to make sacrifices, and you had to keep repeating it to keep, quote, your heart right. It was external. The New Testament, when Jesus showed up, he said, no, I'm going to do this. I'm going to let you change once and for all. Why? Because I'm going to change you from the inside out, not the outside in. Matthew 5, 8 says this, that you're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and your heart put right. Then, at that point, now you can begin to see God on the outside. Because once, you're, once he works on the inside, the Bible says that you now have fruit on the outside. There's this group of, of people in the New Testament called the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, if you don't know the New Testament, they were basically religious bigots. And they just said, we're better than everybody. And when they prayed, they would stand on the corner and pray out loud so everybody could hear them and think they sounded eloquent. They did nothing in private. They actually wore these hats and these boxes on their arm that would, they would write scripture in and fill them up and have these big boxes so people would think, well, they, he must know a lot because that's what it says to me. But the Pharisees and one story were really trying to trap Jesus and trying to trap him into saying something that they could execute him for. And they, and they begin to talk to him about divorce. But I want you to look where this ends up. If you've not read this verse or remember this verse, look where this ends up. It may not be where you think because I get asked all the time about divorce and what God says about divorce. And Jesus turns this question on him. And he says this in, in Matthew 19. He says, some Pharisees came to trap Jesus and they asked this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? Jesus then responds, haven't you read the scriptures? They record, in other words, it's been written down that God made them male and female. If you ever want to know a a scripture to answer the other questions in in the culture right now, there it is. I'll move on. Verse 5, and he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined with the wife and the two are united in one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. The verse that we read and hear quoted all the time at, at weddings. Then why did Moses say, this is Jesus, I'm sorry, the Pharisees, then why did Moses say that in the law a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away? Now here's where Jesus flips the script on them. In verse 8, Jesus replied, Moses did permit divorce, but only as a concession to your, say this with me, your, one more time, your, but it was not what he originally intended. 
Now this presents a, a problem to them because in a problem to us, we can either live the way we think we should with the hard heart and try to make it happen ourselves or according to what Jesus is telling us, you can, you can have your heart healed because that's not what God intended and the Bible says if it's not what God intended, then he will heal and restore it's part of why you hear us say all the time, you hear me say when we talk about Emma and we were praying for Landon, that, that we as God's people are whole, complete, and why do we lack nothing? Does that mean that nothing's been stolen from us? No. It means that something's been stolen, but it's been restored to us. And the Bible says our hearts can be restored because there's a lot of us carrying baggage from relationship to relationship, and we blame the other person, but the truth of the matter is, whose fault is it? Because we just carry the baggage. I had a friend years ago, I counseled, and it was from out of town. He called me and said, I'm going through this. And this guy had, was about to enter his sixth or seventh marriage. And he's like, what do you think? I really love her. This could be the one. And I, and I knew him well enough. I was like, that's what you said the previous six times. And I asked him this question. I said, I think I know what your problem is. I said, do you want to know? He said, well, yeah, I want to know. I said, well, what's the one common denominator in all seven of your marriages? He was like, well, she was mean to me. And he started listing things for the, the female, the woman. I was like, no, you're wrong. The one common thing is you. Like, you can't blame all seven of these other women because the one factor in all this that's the same in all seven is you. And maybe you have some heart that needs to be healed, that you're living with a heart that God didn't intend you to, living with something that God never told you to, and you won't address the heart issue. Because the Bible says that God writes on our hearts. It writes this. It writes who we are in him, that I am a new creation. I am healed. I am whole. I, I'm, a, I'm a righteous. I'm righteous not because I'm righteous, but because he made me righteous. But it also... God says he writes this on your heart, who he created us to be. That Bible is very clear. That I'm going to, in verse, this is Hebrews 10, 16. I'm going to put my laws, I'm going to put all my word in their heart, and I'm going to write it on their minds. That's why the little boxes they would wear, the Jewish people would wear and put scripture in, and they wear it on their, on their head, and they would wear it close to their heart. Because that was symbolic of, the, of God's word being put on their heart. But see, the problem is we, we run into something else that defines us. The devil is trying to define you. As much as God created you, and you'll see in a minute from the womb, the devil is doing everything he can to turn you around, to change what your calling is, to change what you, what you were created to do. And he uses things like this. He uses pain, things that hurt you. He uses your past that may embarrass you or cause you to, um, you know, to, to feel like you can't be anything because my past is holding me back. He uses problems, current problems. And most of all, and we all should say amen to this, he uses people. He uses people to tell you what you're not, what you can't be. I've said this before, and I'll say it again, and I say it proudly, and if, frankly, if people don't like it, I don't care. If you want to see me upset as a pastor, then let me find out that somebody in our, in our church, our leadership or dream team or tell somebody out there that they got to get something right before they come in here. That's not what the Bible says. 
He says, bring all your stuff, bring all your mess, bring everything that's your issues and bring it and then we'll deal with it. But he doesn't say you got to get clean first. You got to get fixed first. You got to stop cussing first. You got to stop this. And that just aggravates me to no end. And there are churches that do that because you can't heal hearts if people won't come in and, and open their heart to God. I want to show you a story in the Bible. You've heard me talk about it before. But it's a story in the, in the Bible of King, uh, in the book of Daniel. And the, the Jewish people had been taken captive. This was during a time when God had just had enough. If you read earlier in the Old Testament, chronologically, God's like, all right, y'all want to do it yourselves? Have at it. And the Bible says he just kind of steps back. He doesn't leave them, but he does step back. And that's when the Jewish people come in and they're, they're, the Babylonians come in and they're taken captive. So now they're under the Babylonian control. And King Nebuchadnezzar decides he, wants, he needs some new and the best of his, his men to serve him. So he doesn't go to his Babylonian men. He, he knows very, for a fact that the Jewish warriors are better. And he goes to them and he says, bring me the best. And this is what he says in verse, Daniel verse 4. He says, bring me young men without any physical defect, handsome. I would have been out right here. I just would, you don't count, so you're out. But he, he's choosing these four guys, physical, handsome, that they're showing aptitude for every kind of learning. So they're not dummies. They're smart. They're well-informed. They're quick to understand. And they're qualified to serve in the king's palace. Why? Because look what he wanted to do. He was to teach them the language and the literature. In other words, the, he was ingraining culture into them, their way of thinking, their religion, what they felt, language and literature of the Babylonians. And it says, among those who were chosen were four guys. We always tell the story, if you grew up going to Sunday school, you heard of three guys that were thrown into the fiery furnace, and the three guys were. But they started out with four guys, and that was with Daniel. And it was this guy's name, Daniel, Hananiah, Misael, and Azariah. I know those names sound funny to us, but they all are Hebrew names that mean something. And then it goes on. To Daniel, whose name meant, uh, the chief official gave him new names, and Daniel's name was changed to Beltezashazar. This is a mouthful. To, and, to Hannah. Hananiah to Shadrach, sorry, Hananiah was changed to Shadrach, Mishael to Meshach, and Azariah to Abednego. If you have kids, it's Rack, Shack, and Benny. If you know what that is, you know. If you don't know, you probably don't have kids. But that's the story. This, and then it goes on to the fiery furnace. But I want you to notice what he did here. And this is the reason now that if you're not, you need to start now. Bow your head and pray. And we pray for, I pray over my girls every day. And one of the things we pray is that God, they'll hear your voice and follow you only. Why? Because all of the school systems, especially up into college and when they get out of your house, everything around them is trying to change their name, trying to redefine truth. We thought now that identifying as something that you're not was the thing of today, but it wasn't. The devil's been trying to do it to people way back then. And he tries to rewrite on your heart who I am. That I'm not a child of God. I'm worthless. That I'm not 
called to be, or God gave me the gifts and abilities to do this, that I'm, I, I'm, I'm unskilled. But I want you to see what these names were changed to. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show them to you. I'm going to tell you what, it, what, he, what the devil was trying to do. We'll take Daniel. Daniel's name in Hebrew meant God is my judge. <clears throat> His name was changed to the Belteshar. Belteshar. And look what it means. Lady, protect the king. They was giving him a Babylonian feminine name. He was, trying to, he was trying to write on him something he was not. And today it's just exactly what we talk about all the time. It's a confused identity. You can put whatever identity in front of that you want and it doesn't change your identity. That you were created by God to be exactly who you are. You're not what God, people and the devil wants to tell you, you're not what God created you to be, but this is what you should be. And sometimes it's what we think we want. Sometimes it's what other people want for us. But it begins to confuse our identity. And in a relationship, it's hard. It's hard to have a relationship with somebody who doesn't know who they are. It changes the dynamic. And it's not God's best. Look at Hananiah. Hananiah, his name was Yahweh has been gracious. In other words, I serve a good God. God's good to me. He loves me. He, he takes care of me. His name was changed to Shadrach which means I'm fearful of God. In other words, God's bad, God's mean. To quote the great philosopher, Mr. Miyagi, God, squish like great. Remember the old karate kid, he said, if you get in the middle, you squish like great. And a lot of us have a squish like great mentality of God, that if I mess up, he's going to what? He's just going to squish me like a grape and be done with me. What it creates is this distorted spirituality. Because the truth for all of us, those in the room, those watching on camera, and those every, all humans, is we're all on a spiritual journey. We're all going somewhere. You can call yourself an atheist. You can call yourself, say, I don't believe in God. And, I, okay, great. You're free to believe what you want. But we're all going somewhere. And it's just a matter of where. And there's only two places. We're on a journey. Now, in here, a lot of us are maybe further along in that journey. There are those of you who have been saved longer than I have, and there's those of you coming up behind us. We're all going the same way, doing the same thing, but we're just in different places. So it's a distorted spirituality. Then there's Misael. His name meant who is what God is. In other words, is there anybody else like God? Is he really the, he is the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And it was changed to, it, another version of that said, I, was, I stand in awe of God, there's no one like him. But look what it was changed to, Meshach, which means I am despised, contemptible, and humiliated. And I would say to you this morning, there's a lot of us who have taken on this name Meshach, and you don't even realize it. Because you've let the world tell you you're despised, I hate you, you just embarrass yourself, you don't think you can do anything, I can't believe you messed up. I can't believe you, you know, your marriage fell apart. I can't believe your kids, and we just become humiliated. Well, what does that do? That leaves us with wounded emotions. So now your identity's messed up, your spirituality is messed up, and emotionally we're nuts. Emotionally we're unstable, we're all over the place. 
and it becomes something. It becomes this. We be, this is a result of being told that you'll never be. And I stand here as somebody who can transparently tell you. And there are a few people around that, that know that I'm close to that remember this year, years ago that I was told point blank, point blank to my face, five, five feet in front of me, you, will, you are not able, you will never be able, you're no good at it, you will never lead the church. After I had been in ministry for 10 years. And if ever you want to understand for me what if the comparable, I guess, was to take a two-by-four to my nose, it just felt like somebody had just whacked me. And it was several years of leaders here, my wife, family around me. And, no, 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 that's not true. That's not true. That's not true. Look, look, God's using us. And now I stand humbly and before you guys and before a church that's, we're growing in every, every, every number you can think of. We're growing. And it's not growing for numbers sake. It's growing because God's saying, I need to use these motley bunch of people. You know, they're a little weird. But watch, we can use them. And there can be people out there who are hurt, who are lost, who are spiritually wounded, who are emotionally wounded. And we can heal this God relationship. And so I can tell you what it feels like to be told you will never be, to be despised, contemptible, humiliated. Those wounded emotions. Then there's Azariah. And Azariah stands for, means Yahweh. Yahweh's a name for God has helped me. In other words, I needed something and God moved. I had a deficiency, God helped me. And look what his name was changed to. His name was changed to servant of Nebo. Nebo was a Babylonian God. In other words, God's plan is not what's going to be directing your life. This other false God, something else. And what that does to us and God and the devil is still doing today is he's trying to redirect your purpose. If you've been here for a while, you've heard me say this. If you're new, new to us, I say this all the time. And I look every one of you in the eye and everybody watching online. You are created on purpose for a purpose. Amen. You're not here by accident. Even if your mom and dad said, whoops. And there's some of those kids are here and we love them, but they were like, wow, I, we didn't intend on having you, but you're here. Even if it was an oops, you're not an oops. You were created on purpose for a purpose. What do I mean by that? There's something that God sets you on this earth to do that is your job to do. All of us. I've told this story a hundred times, but I still love it. Years and years ago, we had a lady who was not very friendly, didn't like to talk to people, but she made a mean pecan pie. And she wanted to do something. I want to serve church. And I said, well, what do you... You know, we didn't have the uh, one-step connect back then and try to help people figure out what they were good at and what they wanted to do. And I kept saying over and over, what do you want to do? What do you want to she, And she goes, well, I don't want to talk to people. I don't want to be up front. I don't like other kids. I don't want to change diapers. I can't sing. I can't play. And she just, and she goes, I said, what'd you do today? She goes, I made some pies. Well, there you go. And she began to just make pies. And before she, she's no longer with us and before she would go make, she'd just go make pies and show up people's house. 
and this, I never saw it, but I, my, my imagination, knowing this person, that, that she'd knock on the door and like, mm. <laughs> and you take the pie and she'd turn and walk away. Like she just, God, if, if for anything else, I got more comments. Hey, so-and-so brought me a pie. Well, was it good? Yeah, it was good. What did she say? Uh-uh. She didn't say a word. But I just felt loved because she showed up with a pie. That you're created on purpose. And I was told point blank something I had been suppressing all of my life. I can't do this. I can't be in charge. God will never use me. I have enough trouble with English, much less, you know, being able to communicate and speak in front of people. I didn't take public speaking in college. I avoided it like the plague. Here I am. That the devil tried to redirect my purpose. He's trying to redirect your relationships. He's trying to redirect your marriage. If you don't think marriage in the way that God sees it is under attack, I just I say this as lovingly as I can. Get your head out of the sand. Like come up for air and look around. The, the reason the devil is doing its best to tear apart marriages is because it's how God built families. And even bigger than that, the whole Bible is based on this idea of a groom and a bride. And the groom coming for the bride. And Jesus coming for us. And if he can get that messed up for us, then he messes up our whole relationship with God. But it's never too late. It's never too late for God to get you to your purpose. How many of you would say, I'm probably living now parts, or have lived parts of my life that I can tell you weren't God? Right? Like you pick the pen up, God, I got this, and I'm going to write my own story. And about two chapters in, you think, what have I done? Like I never should have done this. I never should have seen this person. I never should have gone out. I never. And we think, well, it's too late. I'm off my purpose. No, the Bible says he can restore you. So I'm going to give you three things real quick in the next five minutes. We're going to have to go fast because I went a little long. Three things you can begin that God can heal your heart. Because if you don't, and when I called this message the heart start, because if you don't start with your heart, if you don't start with you getting right, your marriage is never going to change. If you don't start with your heart, your relationship with your kids is never going to change. Because God, for you to give them your best, you got to give them God's best version of you. And here's how we do this. The first thing, this is going to hurt. You ready? Let me try that again. This is going to hurt. You ready? Okay, I don't care. I'm going anyways. Here we go. Buckle up. One, you got to be able to say this. God is right and say it with me. I am wrong. Oh, that hurts. Get in an argument with Melanie. I, uh, I'm sorry. I'm never do it again. No, I'm wrong. God is right and I'm wrong. You have to let the one who designed you define you. We don't go to the guy who designs the Toyota and say, I need you to define this uh space shuttle or rocket ship or airplane. No, the guy who designed the airplane defines the airplane. The guy who does the Toyota does the Toyota. We're trying to let other people who didn't design you, the devil who wants to kill you, define you. Look what the Bible says in Psalm 139. And I took all of these out of Psalm 139, so I encourage you maybe today, just go read the whole, the whole chapter. It says, you made me and all the delicate inner parts of my body, you knit me together in my mother's womb. You were created on purpose for a... You were created on purpose for a... 
I'm going to get that in your ear. It's going to be an earworm. You're going to be thinking it all day long. And he said, thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous and how well I know it, that you watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion and I was woven together again in the womb. Before you ever showed up, God was writing your story. And the problem is we take the pen, tear out the page, and start writing our own story. It says in verse 16, you saw me before I was born and every day my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Side note, if you want the one of scriptures to why I, this is not, I'm politically, not a, this is an apolitical statement. Why we as a church and why I'm pro-life and every child is the blessing of God right here. Why? Because he made you, he had everything written before you ever popped out into this earth. And the Bible says, actually this, I'll give you one more. The Bible says the power of life is in the blood. And as soon as egg and sperm hit, blood is there. There's life and life is happening and people are people. Side note, if you don't want it, sorry, you got it anyway. The second thing, you got to say I'm wrong. Second thing is see God for who he is. See God the right way. We let the world tell us who God is, that he's the big, bad, boogie monster. He's going to squish like grape. He's mean. The Bible says no, that his literal name is love. He's grace. He's mercy. He sent his son to die for you. Even all the times when you looked him in the face and you shot God the middle finger of love, the Bible says he still did it for you. Psalm 139 verse 17 says, How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be outnumbered. That's what God thinks about you. That you have to see God for who he is. When you see God for who he is, you let him heal hearts. Then number three, that you have to give God permission. You have to give him permission to do something in your life. God is not going to just run roughshod over you, and you have to let God write his name on your heart. Ushers, you guys can do your thing. Look what the verse says here in Psalm 139. Go to uh, verse 23. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And then look what he says. Don't say this unless you mean it. He says to God, point out anything, God, in me that just offends you. Show me. So you can know about it? Yeah, so you can know about it, but bigger so you can change it. That's why I say if your heart is open, he'll change it. Let him heal your heart. But you've got to give him permission. He's not just going to kick the door in. And then number four, you have to invite God into your future. You have to invite, okay, God, now I'm going to follow you. I'm going to listen. You don't even have to say, God, I'm going to listen, but I'm probably going to mess up. Why? Because he knows you're going to mess up. Again, let the one who designed you define you. He realizes that we live in a fallen world. He understands the devil's after us. He understands we're going to trip and fall, but it doesn't change the fact that he leads us. And some of you may need, they're questioning what's ahead of you in the future. I challenge you to do this. God, I don't know what my next step is. I don't know what my one step is. But God, I'm, I'm inviting you in. I, I need you to come in and, and guide me. And look what the Bible says here in Psalms 139. It says, lead me along the path of everlasting life. That we simply say, God, lead me. 
said this during our seven day prayer that try to get up in the morning, maybe look at your bracelet, whatever you tagged to that bracelet to think about and then tell God, okay, God, I'm listening. I just need you to lead me. Why don't you stand with me? Just for a second, once you stand, go ahead and bow your head and close your eyes. I just need to ask you, we never leave without offering people a chance. Some of you need to invite God in for the first time. What we mean by that, the Bible says that he sent Jesus to pay the price for the things we messed up so that we could have an eternal relationship with him. It's simply confessing in your mouth, believing in your heart that Jesus is who he says he is. He came and died and is now rose again and is, is waiting on God to tell him to come get us. He's the one who paid the price. So just real quick, every head bowed, every eye closed. And you say, Clint, that's me. Maybe it's, I was here, but I've walked away. I need to come back. And if that's you this morning, I just want you know, I'm going to call you up front. But I just need you to wave at me. Nobody's looking around, it's just me and you. Because you can have this time right right there with God. There's a couple. And maybe we all pray this today. Everybody repeat this. Say this prayer with me. God, heal my heart. Restore to me all the promises of God. Today, God, I believe you're my Savior and my Lord. That you died for me. God, I repent for not getting it right. But today, God, say it again, but today, God, I'm going to let you lead me the rest of the way home. In Jesus' name, amen. Now look at me. I'll give you a little warning. And I am trying to get you to come back, not stay home. Coming weeks, talk some serious shop because we need it right so if you don't like it wear your steel toe boots if you don't have boots just curl your toes because we're going to talk a little we're going to be honest in the weeks to come because I want us to have not just ordinary relationships I want us God's best because the best I give the best of God in me is the best I give to my wife but it's also the best of God that we give as a church as we give as a group to people out there who need to know Jesus Amen? Amen. Let me bless you that we're going to sing one quick song. Just kind of let things settle. That while it does, if um, if you want prayer for your life, while we're doing this, the last song, to my right, your left, we have some people over here that would love to pray with you. You can go during that time. And that way you don't have to run and go get your kids. But let me bless you and we'll sing. God, thank you that we get to have your best. Not my best, but God, your best. And today I ask you for all the hearts in the room all by watching online. God, you begin to heal hearts, and God, you give us your best, and that we walk in your best, and we thank you for it now, in Jesus' name, and everybody said.